Today on Foodstuffs, I talk to a man who looks at the road apples causing his community grief and sees an opportunity. And then we look at how fish tanks are providing lush produce year-round for people in the York region. I'm Joan Stonehawker from Upstream Aquaponics, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. So we all taste them, and we're like, oh, it's kind of tart, isn't it? And we're like, well, we'll just call it extra dry, and then drink it really fast. You know, yeah. Welcome to Foodstuffs, a food podcast that's not really about food. <laughs> I'm Desko Walker. I'm Brian Coleman. <laughs> Ryan is questioning everything today. That was as many questions as I could do, because that's as high as my voice goes. <laughs> hey, Jess. Hi, Brian. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit sick today. Yeah. You can tell. A little bit. I'm a little under the weather. Oh. Which means that I haven't been tasting, and it's a little bit annoying. I'm going slightly crazy, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm very good. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's the most annoying thing about being sick, I think. Yeah. Not being able to taste food. So, but everybody has their thing that they like to eat when mm-hmm. they're sick. Yeah. What, what's yours? Um, I think it varies a little bit depending on what kind of sick I am. Um Right now, I'm just, like, congested and feeling real achy. So all I've been, like, my brain is short-circuiting on just trying to get healthy, the healthiest food. And it's salads right now that are, like, top of mind for whatever reason. And I'm really feeling the frustration of living in the west end of Toronto. I guess, I don't know what my problem is, but I have some expectation that Toronto should be able to provide everything to everyone in every neighborhood, which is slightly unreasonable. But you would really think that west of Bathurst there's you know several solid uh salad options and there really isn't so I've been getting a little bit upset about that um and before I could go on any further I also feel the need to mention of course I know that I could make myself one salads are on the easier side of things but um when you're trying to get as many nutrients as you can you want variety and if I were to buy everything as a single woman I'm just predicting as someone who works at night as well, that so many of those things would go bad, which is something I really can't abide. I wouldn't feel good about that at all. So instead, I will look outward and get pissed that Toronto doesn't have a salad bar in the West End. It's your fault, Toronto. Yeah. Come on. Come on, Toronto. Pick get up your, get your act together. Make me feel better. But it's interesting that you mentioned food waste uh, mm-hmm. because we've got an interview coming up um, where we're talking a lot about food yeah, waste. Yeah, that's true, actually. You're right. So maybe we should get right to it. Yeah. This is uh, Bucky Buckler from Sackville, New Brunswick, describing how he sees opportunities for alcohol and what others view as food waste. I was like, uh, I think I was like six or seven years old when uh, my mother and uh, a dear friend of hers, who's a neighbor, a retired uh, carpenter, they uh, they met a mentor who was an old moonshiner from Skunk Hollow and outside of Water Valley, Alberta, and he just <laughs> this is you know just like wise and all the old West ways that you could be. Uh, anyway, so he he taught uh, my mom and uh, her mentor Henry what to do and all the old tricks. Uh, you know, uh, as a, as a young kid. Um, you know, I saw what they were doing, and but I also was uh, privy to like the sort of their instruction. Um, from this this great old moonshiner Jim Lindsay, so um, he was you know he would explain to them, and they they were they're adults, so they didn't listen very well. You know they don't learn like a kid can learn, especially like a you know 
agreed to or, or something. And so <laughs> I would, I would correct it and say, no, no, you weren't listening. This is what he said. And then they're like, oh, okay, right. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and then, and then yeah, eventually they, uh, they had their fun with it and then they, they gave it up. But, but I knew that that still was around. So when I reached, um, when I reached, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old and, uh, was, was, was trying out drinking and I, I said right away, well, why not just make my own? Cause probably couldn't buy it at that one. You know, I guess I could in Alberta, but mm -hmm. it was just fun. And it was really inexpensive. We could, and we could make the party for our friends just by showing up with a bunch of mason jars full of moonshine. And so when, uh, I started distilling on my own as a, as a teenager, as a, as a college student, um, we would use uh, horse feed, and I was, I'm from Alberta, I'm a farm boy, um, and so that was just, we knew that was like some high energy food, it was basically, yeah, horse, horse feed for just topping up their ration, right. and give them like extra, some extra energy, just high, high carbohydrates, or complex carbohydrates, and so that Which broke down. virtually sugar, Yeah, right? virtually sugar, and it broke down really easily. It, uh, and then anything fermentable, even with sugars, and uh, I mean, we can you know talk about like sort of like prison hooch or something they might make with like ketchups <laughs> or something like that, um, ketchup packages or or yeah horse horse feed or uh, or apples or whatever you know what's at your grocery anything store. Anything with sugar. Yeah, man, yeah. go dumpster diving or what's in your grocery store that's just like kind of going off. I mean, if it's going off, that's, that's to our benefit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah. Any, any fermentable and, um, you know, that leads into like the latest, latest thing with the making the apple cider. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk a bit about your using... apple cider. I'm, I'm actually drinking it right now yeah. and this is better than some of the stuff that we sell in the restaurant that I work at. Sure. It's, it smells amazing. Yeah. It smells appley and it smells dry, yeah. which is nice. And then you taste it and it's, it's not as like puckery dry as it could be it's it's app yeah cool it's really really good there's fun really it was good. uh yeah that that one there you're drinking is later on in the season and there was some that were earlier uh earlier apples and they were just less sweet and so they just didn't develop as far and they were much drier and mm -hmm. but yeah it leads me into <laughs> well we started using yeah we started using wild thing. apples just um there's a there's apples everywhere around here uh we're kind of you know a depleted economy. People have moved away. Uh, yeah, just describe like we are in Sackville, New Brunswick right now, yeah. which is what kind of That's, a town, and how does yeah. this all play in? Because I don't know that this would be available in every yeah. every community that exists. Yeah, no, right. That's what's kind of beautiful about this, and why Maggie mentioned it to me. Yeah. Shout out to Maggie Pitts who set us up. Well, uh, here we are in Sackville, New Brunswick, which was like a serious shipbuilding place. It has it's had industrial past. Um, it's had farming, um, manufacturing, it was a big foundry here, um, Enterprise Foundry, which um, closed, I think, in the 60s. Um, but before that, you know, the, the farming sort of started to dry up before that, the shipbuilding dried up before that. The, so uh, so it's just been the, the story of, of the East Coast. Yeah, the story of the East Coast. It's kind yeah. of a heartbreak place. But uh, so... Each of them have left some things behind, and apples is like you know come you know they've all left apples behind them, mm -hmm. and so you can go down to around the dikes and down around the uh, the, the ocean front and um, around the Bay of Fundy, and on the old estates and farms and plots uh, all through town and all kinds of different 
you know, all kinds of different apple trees. Always, there's always August apples. That's, and the, I, that's yeah. the type of apple. Yeah, it's some kind of, you know, type of apple. And I have no, I don't know much about apples. I'm learning just through <laughs> tasting them. I should know more about the types, but I don't. I don't. But to me, it's all uh, just like sort of a big salvage operation. I see them hitting the ground and I was like, oh man, we gotta do something with those apples, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I bought myself a, a, a nice big wine press slash cider press thing. First, you gotta pulp your apples. Um, for that, uh, some kind of, you know, food grade, or not grade, uh, commercial grade food processor mm -hmm. is like really awesome. Um, but lots of friends have like built their own out of different things, mm -hmm. you know, you can get get uh, pretty creative on how to smash up an apple <laughs> so you get some smashed and apples. I'm sure it affects the yield depending <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah, how sure. labor-intensive it is. Yeah, yeah. how labor-intensive. <laughs> but then you but press them and you get this beautiful yeah. apple juice. And you get apple becomes... juice. It's just like, you know, yeah, apple juice. Um, you know, we, we, we select a little bit, select through the apples a little bit, but not a whole lot. If it's a good apple, it's a good apple. And if it's a bad apple, it's a bad apple. And you kind of throw it. Maybe and you it's cut a it. half apple. You might, yeah, you might have a half apple, but we just really, you know, you you get thick skinned after a while and you're just like free apples and whatever so you just the rest go to the compost and that's fine they feed the worms and the earth and that's okay there's so many apple trees in that condition like that are just like there they are they're just fruit everywhere and people for people um it's a really it's annoying it's like a, it's a pest you know it's a thing they have to clean up and it makes a big mess and uh and so i got you know i asked a few people like would you mind if i take those apples and they'd be oh please would you mm -hmm. and I said yeah okay yeah and then that's I found that that was the uh, often you know the the comment they're like oh please do like really you would take our, these apples I was like yeah and then the next thing you know they start bringing them to you kind of thing um so it's just like there's so much resources out there to be picked uh, in this location I, I don't think it's much different I, I think I often feel People uh, will go out to buy apples in the store and then don't see that there's like an apple tree in their backyard or mm -hmm. their neighbors and, and feel this weird thing. But um, there's been a few people out there that are networking people together and making really cool things happen. Um, Specifically Laura Rainsboro in, in, in Toronto, not far from the tree, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, a nonprofit that's putting people with apple trees together with people that want to pick apples and they have, you know, a whole thing that matchmaking they share yeah and they, they they make i think they do some value adding and they make some stuff with it and there's so many apples there's and even if it's not like you know other there's other things there's just things that aren't being used and just um it's fun i think and, and i think clearly cider is like making a big you know return on the spot is a, is a yeah beverage of choice and uh we've got lots of apples around here be, mm -hmm. it's fun to sort of maybe think about taking a hobby to some other level, yeah, to, to a little cottage industry or something, but or somebody and else can do it, whatever. As long as someone uses those apples, that's what I want to see. I want to see those apples y'all use them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uses them up. So, yeah, um, you have you dabbled, you've clearly dabbled with the idea. I saw that Robin, your partner, had yeah. made labels for your last batch, Is yeah, that right? Made some, nice, some, some really sweet labels, and yeah, we, we use the we use the words the Sackville Cider Company on them. Yeah. And like yeah, that's let's just feel it out. Let's te let's test it out and see what that feels like. And yeah, exactly. And it. it tastes delicious. I can attest. Yeah. Um, and even I I just I wonder how common that idea of sort of respecting what exists and not trying to have too heavy of a hand is these days because people are so used to 
uh, reproducibility, is that the right word? Uh, Reproducibility and like predictability and seeing a thing. But I, I think that there has to, there's some education and excitement that can accompany something like this where you get to do the comparison and and all that. Oh yeah. I like the idea that you're trying out there just of, um, like each thing just being totally different. You don't know, like if it's wild apples, um, you don't, that's, you don't know, you don't know if it's going to work because you've not, you don't have full control of the, of the thing. You have to trust that mother nature is going to take over mm-hmm. and that it's all there and that it's going to happen. And I found, fa- I found that I didn't need to add any yeast even. So this last season, I just like, just did all natural fermentation. Just let the apple take over. That's amazing. That was like, that's amazing. So you could just get a free apple and, uh, or a bucket of them and, and uh, you don't need to add anything to it, whatever, yeah, let the yeast on the apple do its thing, it's all there. And that's pretty, that's kind of, that's, that's really cool to imagine it's like a machine that makes itself. Yeah. Um, both in life and death, that's really, that's wild. Do you want to go drink the rest of the cider? Totally. <laughs> that's it. Amazing. Um, thank you so right much, Bucky. Oh, that was fun to talk to you. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much. That was Bucky Buckler speaking with Jess about his pet project, the Sackville Cider Company. Yeah, I'm excited to follow their progress with this idea. It's um, it's really, really rare to have someone that's okay with variation from batch to batch. I should say was more rare because we're definitely seeing that. Um, I know in Ontario, there's a number of cider companies that are kind of playing with that, doing more small batch cider um, and, and letting the the apples and the, the harvest from month to month or season to season or whatever, kind of let them dictate what uh, what the cider will taste like. Uh, but I really do hope that this trend keeps going. It's kind of brings it closer to the way that wine is created or certain types of wine. Um, it's like a time capsule for the year or for the week or for the season or the harvest or, or whatever. Um, and And you get to taste the variety and taste the difference and... It's great. You just can't get too attached to a certain expectation of taste all the way through, right? Yeah, that's that's the thing. So the difference is you're not going to have predictability, but you're hopefully going to come to appreciate a certain producer. And, and right. maybe in this case, it's a badass moonshiner named Bucky from Sackville, New Brunswick. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully the variation is what you're looking forward to, uh, to be a complete nerd about it. You're just going to appreciate on an intellectual level as well as on a taste level. So I think it's exciting and worthwhile. And yeah, I hope that becomes a little more of the norm. At one point in there, Bucky mentioned a Toronto organization called Not Far From The Tree. That's kind of like those uh, one of those Yes In My Backyard programs that we talked about a few weeks back. Yeah, with Jacob. Yeah, exactly. And their whole deal is they're matching property owners that have these fruit trees that are going unpicked with volunteers who want to share in that yield. Yeah, exactly. So one third would go to the homeowner, one third goes to the volunteers that are essentially getting paid with this fruit, and then the other third goes to the food bank, which is kind of similar to what we were talking about in the last episode with David Lockett. Um, Yeah, making sure that it comes back to the community as well. Exactly. Another example of a group of people looking to avoid food waste in their community and bring more nutrition there as well. So if you're interested, uh, we'll post a link to Not Far From The Tree in case you're curious. We. Oui. 
Next up, Brian takes a trip to Newmarket to look at a new project run by the York Region Food Network that is using aquaponics to provide healthy food for food banks. This is yet another group looking at what has traditionally been viewed as waste and seeing it as a chance to feed the city. Super cool. Um, Brian, can you explain aquaponics for us? Well, of course I can. <laughs> but I think it'd be better if we let Joan Stonehawker, who's the executive director of the York Region Food Network, explain it. All right. Let's do it. So aquaponics is a system that um, combines aquaculture and hydroponics in a closed loop so that the fish that you're growing feed the plants and the plants purify the water so that it can go back to the fish. It solves the problem of aquaculture, which produces a lot of dirty water that you need to get rid of, and hydroponics where you have to add fertilizer to make the plants grow. How does, how does your system work? So we have um, two large tanks that hold tilapia. We have about 50 tilapia in each tank. We can hold up to 75. That water goes, all of the water circulates all at once. So we have two large fish tanks. We have four deep water rafts where we grow plants floating in water. And we have a media bed where plants grow in uh, clay pellets and the water circulates throughout the system and the plants take up the nutrients that the fish produce. Where did this idea come from? So a, a fellow from Richmond Hill, Steve Louie, came into our office one day. He had approached a food bank in Richmond Hill to talk about possibly setting up an aquaponic system to provide more fresh produce and protein to people that need to access food banks. And they didn't have the capacity to do that, but sent him up to um, York Region Food Network. At about that time, we also had um, a funding opportunity through Ontario Centres of Excellence to look at sort of social enterprise opportunities that would address some poverty issue. So we, did, we put in a funding proposal and started this project. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about York Region Food Network. What is, what is the role of York Region Food Network? So we're a regional hub that um, offers programs and works for policy change for access to healthy food for everyone. We were started through the food bank movement, so our focus has been on people that can't afford food. But as you get into thinking about food, you understand how important it is for everybody, and everybody needs healthy food, and we all are suffering from eating poorly. I, I was I mean imagine like as the executive director you get lots of sort of proposals and ideas kind of coming your way. What about this made you think that yes let's go forward and, and do this one? Well it was because as we have seen now that we have this system everybody is really fascinated by the whole idea. When I first heard it I thought wow that makes a lot of sense maybe we should try I mean if we can do this, how cool is that? It's a way to produce protein, it's a way to make fresh produce, and you do it all year round in a country that's frozen for a good part of the year. Is, can you talk about the need to sort of uh, service the sort of underprivileged population uh, and introduce uh, healthy foods into that, that system? Um, yeah, see, I have a rant. Um, so, I mean, we, we've worked with food banks and we've looked at that system and, and every year we look at, at the number of people that have to come to food banks. 
and we look at the food, the food that people are offered in food banks. I mean, the movement started in the 80s during a recession, and everybody said this was a temporary measure, and it's been going on for 35 years. And the food that we're serving in food banks is non-perishable processed food. When you look at the, the nutrient value and the, num the degree of fat, sugar, and salt that's in that processed food to make it shelf-stable and able to be in a food bank, we're serving the most vulnerable people in our community the crappiest food. And that doesn't make sense. So we need to understand not only for people living on low income, but for everybody. We need to eat healthy food, and we need food that's produced in a manner that protects our environment, and the people that work in the food system need to be paid fairly. Health is obviously key to everyone, education and food skills, and all of those things. So this system, aquaponics, was a way to pull people in and engage them in that conversation. Maybe you can keep going with that is how does this program sort of address some of those issues and how does it continue to do that? So a big part of this program is the education. Um, when we originally started it, we were hoping to um, do a little more around um, employment and youth engagement. We've managed the youth engagement. We just haven't been able, because the system is not big enough to be commercially viable, we can't really make enough money. So we have a lot to pay people to work here. And so we do a lot of volunteer opportunities and that kind of thing. And, uh, and the food, I think, goes as well. Okay, so and the food, we, we were selling it at um, indoor markets. We use it in our programs at York Region Food Network. We do a breakfast drop-in. We do community kitchens. And we also supply local food banks. Okay, so some of the actual product from this is going to the, that community as well, mm -hmm. in addition to the, the education yes. part, part of things. So, and I think you sort of touched on that a few times. One in the um, funding opportunity was sort of centered around social enterprise, and you mentioned that uh, it hasn't been as commercially viable. Were you expecting it to be more commercially viable? Can you talk about that? Um, yeah, our, in, our in original calculations were that at least we could raise enough money to sort of pay the rent on this building, but it hasn't always been that way. It, I mean, it really is a, um, a learning project in terms, it's, it's like farming, so there's not, it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not a complicated, like the whole thing is kind of makes sense. It's fairly easy, but there's a lot of variables that you don't really think about. Where do you see this program going? Well, we have a, a couple of opportunities in the work. The local high school here has a greenhouse that has been um, basically not operating for a number of years. They're hoping to repair the greenhouse and move at least part of the system. We're hoping to move part of this system into there so it's right directly in the high school. They bring students here all the time because it is such a great system for all sorts of pieces of the curriculum, physics, the science, mm -hmm. the bell siphons that flood and drain the media beds, the chemicals, of the water, and and the plants in there. They have a whole um, culinary department in that school as well, so they can grow and use the greens and, and the fish. And do you think that maybe perhaps that's where um, a lot of these programs can go if they're not commercially viable yet? Is places like schools, is that where they're going, or do you think that there is a commercial opportunity here? Oh, I think there is a commercial opportunity. We have an open door 
every month from May to October, where people we have people coming from Buffalo, Belleville, Midland, oh, wow, Whitby, yeah. all all over Southern Ontario and and the states even to have a look at the system. We had one group that is looking to put aquaponics into um, offer local f food through their company cafeteria another food bank that's looking at it to offer more fresh food to people that need food banks, a um, shelter that was building a new building and wanted to do a green roof and be able to supply some of their food that way. There are lots of opportunities to do it and there are commercial growers as well. There's a new one in Mississauga and a few others that are starting up. Do you think there's an opportunity that perhaps a larger company might look at a system like this and say, hey, we can take some of that learning and apply it to what we're doing? And we'll do it in a way that is answering, hey, this is something that our customers are saying is important to us, and yet we can still make money. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that one of the issues in the world today is always that we're looking at making money first rather than looking at all of those other important pieces. I mean, one of the things I read the other day was we can't change our climate. We, I mean, we live in a world. We can change the economy. We can do all sorts of things with that. But if we don't protect our land and our resources, we're out of luck. It doesn't matter how much money you have. For York Region, um, if this is a, a program that doesn't make money, do you think that it should still, is there still a good enough purpose to keep this going anyway? Or at the end of the day, do we say, well, if it's just not going to make money, we got to fold it up? Well, we have to pay for it somehow. So if, we, if there's no funds coming in to pay for it, it's we can't keep it going. Right. But if we can find a way to get funding to keep it going, the whole learning thing is we've found really important because there aren't many places that you can just go and see a system like this working and understand and we're quite clear about what we've learned and some of the challenges so we can really offer a lot of education around that. And can you, uh, I know we talked a little bit about this, but can you talk about what this program in general has taught you either about aquaponics or about these kind of programs in general? Well, I think we I think we've learned that people really care and are in more and more are caring about what they eat and where their food comes from and want to understand and know that we're eating healthy food. We use it as a way to um, encourage all sorts of things around healthy eating. So you cook from scratch, you sit down and have meals. We do all of our programs try and do that as much as possible, bring everybody together regardless of, you know, any differences that might happen. And we all try and think about the health of ourselves, our community and our world. Great, thank you. <laughs> Great. Thanks again to Joan Stonehawker from the York Region Food Network for meeting with me and showing me around the aquaponics lab in Newmarket. Yeah, here's another story of a successful useful program that isn't getting the funding it needs to continue. Um, so what do you think needs to happen to keep programs like these running, Brian? Well, uh, Joan sort of talked a little bit when we were not recording about how they're sort of in this in-between stage where they're probably they're not big enough to be commercially viable. Mm-hmm. And they're probably a little bit too big and too expensive to be just an education piece. But I think they already have a good option that Joan talked about, which is transitioning this over to a nearby high school. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the I greenhouse think, that she mentioned, right? Exactly. They already have a greenhouse that they're not using. I think what you'll find is a lot of schools, they already have the physical and sort of administrative infrastructure in place to make a program like this really work. Um, so uh, David Lockett actually talked a little bit about this in one of the previous episodes. Yeah, they felt really strengthened by connecting with the schools, taking it just f- from being just a justice program to now also, yeah, coming into the community through the school. Yeah, and integrated into that school curriculum. There's so many things you can learn, obviously. It's not just gardening, there's science, there's business, all mm-hmm. kinds of lessons mm-hmm. that you can take from that. So I think that's a really strong a strong opportunity for where these programs could go. Um, the other thing David Lockett talked about was how it's the corporate community that needs to really step up to yeah. make these programs go. And I could see that this is another one of those things where is there a, a, some, a corporate citizen that's willing to step, step up and say, hey, I can bring you into my facility or I can give you some funding or something like that right. and, and keep a program like this going. And yeah, okay, they can put their, their name on something good, but at the same time they can truly support it and help programs like this keep going. Exactly, and... They're the ones that have the money to do it. Why not put it to good use, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, like you said, it can only be a positive influence on their business as well. So hopefully that's a symbiotic relationship that will become more normal. Did you see it? What? We're up. You can now find us on Yay. iTunes and Stitcher. So go ahead and subscribe. Say so you'll subscribe, won't you? Thanks this week's go to Bucky Buckler, uh, who is a moonshiner and all-around amazing guy, uh, and to Maggie Pitts for connecting us. Thanks a lot, Maggie. That was great. And to Joan Stonehawker and Trisha Richens of the York Region Food Network and their upstream aquaponics program. As always, huge thanks to Eric Betlam, Ken Stauer, and Sam Petit at CIUT. We love Studio 2. I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. Thanks for listening to Foodstuffs. See you in two weeks. Like hair metal. Yeah. Boot stuffs. If you're gonna. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't headbang with a bun, okay? <laughs>